How well do you know yourself? When does the raw, unapologetic, and authentic you come to life? What does knowing oneself have to do with fatherhood? Today, Dr. Andy Garrett, a clinical psychologist and the world's leading authority on identity, joins us on our search for clarity to these questions. He believes that every individual has the capacity to transform their lives in a healthy way by integrating psychology with identity. Learn the framework he's taught so many leaders around the world that has helped them become better as individuals, business leaders, husbands, and fathers. My conversation with Dr. Andy Garrett starts right now. You are listening to the Dads Making a Difference podcast, the number one podcast for men driven to live a life of significance. Men who want to make a difference in the lives of their families, in their business, and in the world around them. My name is Cam Hall, founder of Fight the Dabot and leader of the Dads Making a Difference Mastermind. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now, let's dive in. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Dads Making a Difference podcast. My name is Cam Hall. I am excited for you to hear this conversation with Dr. Andy Garrett. This man is a powerhouse. He is the world's leading authority on identity. He is a clinical psychologist. He is a speaker and an author. He's a father. He's an entrepreneur. But the reason I'm so excited about having Dr. Garrett on the podcast is because he is passionate about helping men understand who they are. He wants you to know you, your what, your why, your how, the who of what makes you unique. And he's passionate about this because for you to become clear on those things helps you be infinitely more impactful and will guide you in living a much more fulfilling life. Dr. Garrett, in this episode, explains why having clarity on one's identity plays such a crucial role in becoming a difference maker dad or difference maker husband or entrepreneur or business owner. Dr. Garrett will also let us know how we can create a shared vision for our family without disregarding their needs for autonomy and self-expression. This will create a better environment in your home. It will help you interact with people in a more impactful way. It's going to help you step in to being a difference maker. This conversation with Dr. Andy Garrett starts right now. Dr. Andy Garrett, welcome to the DMD podcast. Thank you. And so excited to be here. I know the setup conversations to this moment have just been really fun and exciting and inspiring. So I'm glad to actually be here and recording now. Yeah, I'm excited for you to be here. We've had a couple conversations like you mentioned. And in each one of those, I was just like, okay, we got to get to this interview because I, I know you have so much value to share and so much experience to share. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, like your area of expertise is in identity. And so we'll dive into that a bit in our conversation, but really gearing towards you know, identity as a father, identity as a man, and how that then plays in to being a leader. So I'm excited to get into this. Um, Andy, do you want me to call you Dr. Andy or Andy? We've had this conversation before, yeah. but this is more of an official platform. Uh, <laughs> Andy, Andy works great for me. That feels yeah. most comfortable and authentic. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I appreciate that. Um, but you are Dr. Andy Garrett. So I, I wanted to recognize that. Uh, Andy, why don't you sh take a moment to share a bit about your story and your background and how you got okay. to really the place that you are today? Yeah. I mean, so obviously uh, in the four decades that I've been here, life's taken some twists and turns. And really it started off coming from a broken family. You know, my parents got divorced when I was two. So I don't have many recollections of them together. And the time that I do remember my mom and dad uh, communicating and, and fam family time um, was, not, was not particularly good, right? It was filled with a lot of conflict and struggles and my parents trying to figure out their own identity. They were, they were young parents. Uh, so it, it was a, a challenge in that sense of I wanted so much to have that kind of relationship with my dad to help me understand, you know, who I was and who I was becoming. Uh, but ultimately, that just that that's not how how it played out. And so there was a lot of pain. I didn't have the tools or the language growing up 
to know how to deal with all the internal struggles and pain and questions that that kind of it created within me. Um, one of the things that I think we'll get to later is we discuss, you know, masculine identity and what the Bible says and then how that plays out. I think psychologically, um, you know, ideally as men, we are coming in and we are turning chaos into order. There's a sense of as, you know, life's filled with uncertainty, you know, and I think in this past two years, we even hear the term unprecedented uncertainty. And so there's all these things that can be, you know, adversity and challenges and confusion. And if we know who we are, we step into those and we bring order, we bring peace, we bring a common composure. There's a sense of, right, I am equipped to meet this challenge and this need and to help lead my family through this and, and being in their presence, right? When, when I come around, everybody starts to calm down, ideally, where they start to say, all right, you know, dad's in charge, he's got this. That's not to say that mom doesn't play a massive role because my wife is an all-star in, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the opposite where when we don't know who we are and we're kind of operating from an immature sense of identity, we tend to create more chaos. We tend to add fuel to the fire, right? We avoid responsibilities. We have moral cowardice. There's a sense of instead of rising up to the, to the situation, right? Our words don't match our actions. And all these things tend to create more uncertainty when our family needs us to be creating less and helping to, you know, I'd say my overarching goal as a dad and as a father is to remove or eliminate as much unnecessary ambiguity or uncertainty as I possibly can. And so if I don't know who I am, chances are I'm actually creating more. And that means my kids are growing up trying to understand what's their value, you know, what, what, where's their sense of, of self-worth come from. Um, mm -hmm. So roundabout way, you know, a lot of what I do, and I think that's probably a byproduct of, of a lot of people is it comes from my own story of brokenness and my own struggles to figure that out. And so I was fortunate to meet a pretty amazing psychologist. You know, I started young. I got in my first, you know, therapy appointment. I think I was eight years old. Wow, um, yeah. And that woman to this day continues to be a mentor figure for me. And so she really helped me through some, some challenging, confusing times. Um, I'd love to say that she got me straight on the path at eight, right? And it was all good and gravy from that point. But that was certainly not the case. Teen years were rough. I mean, I was just filled with so much anger and I had these emotions. I mean, I've, I've always been a very sensitive, you know, person, something that I've tried to disown and I felt shameful about. And, you know, over the past several years, I've actually learned to see that as one of my greatest strengths. But as a young kid, I just had all these really strong feelings and I had no idea where to channel them. So I tried to numb them through use of substances, right? I tried to externalize them by getting into fights. Um, you know, I, in high school, this is, I don't think I've shared this many places. It's a little embarrassing, but you know how they have like the senior awards, most likely yeah. to succeed, right? All those greatest yeah. smile, all those things. So I got uh, most likely to go to jail. And apparently I won in a landslide. And I've realized now what a ridiculous award, right? Like why on earth would you ever give that award out to someone? <laughs> But I was such a fool and I was so desperate for attention. I actually wore it, said jailbird. That was like, was like a yellow sash, right? And I was wearing it around school, like a champion, like, look at me. And my wow. girlfriend at the time is just like, got her head right down, like, oh boy. So, you know, I was really lost. It was in my, right before my 21st birthday, you know, I really went and, and uh, my sister had come to me and kind of confronted me on something she was trying to address from our childhood. And she said, I think that, you know, the reason why you're acting out in such self-destructive ways, I think you need to go and deal with some stuff. And I was like, I'm good. I got it. Yeah. You might need to do that for you, but for me. Yeah. And then I proceeded that weekend to, to nearly drink myself to death. Um, it was, a, it was a, a terrible weekend. I ran with the crew that loved chaos, right? That was like our specialty. And uh, even I took it too far. They're like, all right, if this is our expertise, like, you know, you are, <laughs> um, they confronted me halfway through the trip and were like, we're terrified that we're gonna have to send you home, right? Dead. Wow. And so I came home that weekend and just kind of threw up the surrender flag. And in doing that, um, I had some amazing people that stepped into that void, right? People that stepped into my chaos and helped to bring order to it. It took several years, but one of the most influential and impactful people was my, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather. Uh, his name is Carl Karcher. He started Carl's Jr. And so, oh, you know, wow. he was a very successful businessman. But what I knew him, like who I knew him was, was this incredibly loving figure. And I would spend, spend thousands of hours with him before he passed. And, you know, it was never about him. You would think oftentimes that he would be having a huge ego and need everybody yeah. to tell him how great he was. 
he was so secure in who he was. He had such radical clarity and certainty in what he was about. He would tell the family, he'd rehearse his values. I think everybody in the family, it's a massive family. My mom was one of 12. I have something like 50 cousins on that side oh, of the family. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it is that. But I bet every one of those cousins would be able to tell you not only what his core values were, but in what order. And then you saw how he lived his life. So he talked about faith being that number one. You know, he was, he was a good he was a Catholic man. So he went to mass five days a week. He spent over an hour in prayer, did a rosary every day. You know, it's not necessarily the, the I'm, my faith is my number one value too. I express it in you know, slightly different ways, but you can see, and, and despite growing Carl's Jr. into this massive company that it was, he made it home for dinner to be with his kids at 5.30 every single day, right? And so you could see that where he put his atten- attention energy, it matched. And so it helped everyone to have clarity. This is what we stand for as a family. And so being around that, it was like one of the only people and places in the world where I didn't feel like I had to like try and perform, where I didn't feel like I had to try and earn or be somebody else. I could just relax into myself and I could start to figure out who I might be. And so that became the catalyst for major transformation in my life. And now I've looked back and to say, what did he do? And I've, I've had a handful of other people in my life mostly men, you know, being a man myself, who have had an in uh, a, a really disproportionate amount of impact on me mm-hmm. uh, in the way that they interacted with me and the communication they had. And so and these were men that I now refer to as true North exemplars. Yeah. And so I looked back and said, you know, man, they love the life they did. And it's clear that the jobs they did, the wives that they, you know, chose, and uh, it was with such intentionality. And you could tell they were living exactly the life. It was completely by choice, an autonomously lived life. And I wanted to like, what, what in the world did they do? Is that just something that you either like have or you don't have? Or could I put on my psychologist hat? Could I reverse engineer it? Right. And then could I put together a plan that, first of all, I needed to, to go through? Right. And then could I replicate that to bring other men through that process so that they can have clarity uh, on kind of a foundational sense of their identity? And when you have clarity and security in that, it's amazing how everything else, your purpose, your why, all these things that we often tend to hear about in personal growth, all that stuff becomes so much more organic and easier when you start with identity first. You know, but I think a lot of people want to jump you know, steps yeah. and go straight to the why. They want to you know, focus on the habits and all these things. And if you don't have a clear sense of identity, there's a good chance that while those things are well-intentioned, they often lead you to places that are unintended, right? They often end up not giving you the personal transformation and, and that's sense of growth that I think people desire. So that was a long, long way of getting there. No, And you shared so much and there's so much to unpack (laughs) there. You know, I do have a couple of questions in your story. You mentioned that your sister came to you. Uh, Your sister had already sought out answers of why she was either feeling or processing the way that she was. Is this an older sister or younger sister? Yeah. She's four years older than me. And, uh, yeah, yeah, she's she. Uh, we had a, a a close relationship growing up, where I think oftentimes she was the one getting me out of the out of the the crib, and um, we spent a lot of time. So she's always led, hasn't always led the most gracious ways, right? There's been a lot of uh of tough love involved in there, but uh, yeah, yeah, excellent. So, and so I, I was thinking about that. She came to you as before your twenty first birthday, so she would have been twenty five, right? Twenty five ish. You have that kind of breakthrough after that that tough weekend and you threw up the surrender and then your grandfather was a mentor to you i think about the experience your sister may have had from 21 to 25 that helped her realize where she needs support and how you might have been a little bit on the same trajectory but in your own time and, you know so by the time you were 25 where your sister was when she came to you and she knew i needed to outreach by the time you were 25 how are you like, how are you feeling? Like, how are you processing through the chaos? And I, I'm just fascinated by how you got from where you were to become a clinical psychologist. <laughs> um, it's a great question. So after, after the moment of surrender, right, where my life was just really pure chaos, um, you know, I, I think back at that time and my, my mom would often say that I, I wouldn't, you know, I'd go out at night and I wouldn't come home for several days. Mm. And so my mom was terrified every night as the lights would come around the cul-de-sac that we lived in at that time, you know, the bad news was coming. Yeah. And so 
you know, first off, like I just needed to go and I needed to change just about everything in my life. I needed to change friend groups. I needed to change, you know, my environment for a period of time. Um, I got myself involved in every type of therapy I, I, I could, right? I was in group therapy, individual therapy. I did a fire walk, right? Walk on. I uh, jumped out of planes. I did a sweat lodge. Um, and I, was, I wasn't in a relationship. I was like, you guys need me to do couples therapy? I'll do couples therapy, like whatever I need to do. <laughs> yeah. And so there certainly was a lot of healing and a lot of time in there, right? To start to process emotions and start to get in touch. Like they even have a language for what it was that I was feeling, you know, before it was just, I mean, I was, I was at war with myself, you know, in my own head, the worst place to be was alone, you know, and all of a sudden my head would just start attacking me and, you know, from imposter syndrome to shame. So I needed to get from a place where I could just stop living in this kind of self torturous, you know, uh, uh, place. And I think over those couple of years that therapy helped, you know, if I, if I had uh, sometimes a criticism about therapy, uh, traditionally it's focused on, you know, kind of a medical model. So it, it really looks at, uh, you know, pathology. And, and so when we you know, meet with people, we're immediately assessing what's wrong. You know, where's the, the pathology? Where's the, the lack? Where are things going wrong? And there was, there's been a shift. Uh, Marty, Sel- Marty Seligman, the, the founder of Positive Psychology, he started challenging psychologists and therapists to say, can you identify what's healthy and strong and good in individuals or families? And we hadn't been trained. So, so they really couldn't. They said, well, shouldn't we be able to not only understand what is healthy and use that as a foundation to build and grow, but what if we started to understand what happiness truly looked like? What if we understood resilience and grit and all these amazing things, growth mindset that have come out of the positive psychology movement? So I love, you know, I think psychology and the therapy I went through, if we think of well-being existing on a spectrum from a minus 10 to a plus 10. I mean, I was like, well, on the minus side of, you know, that for uh, the first 20 years of my life, um, not to say there wasn't some amazing moments and some great moments of achievement and connection and friendships and all those things, but especially the adolescent years were, were really messy. So it helped me go from like a minus seven to kind of in that minus two to plus one range. Right. But I didn't know how to go from that to the plus five, six, seven, eight that I wanted to live in. And it was partly through positive psychology, but especially surrounding myself with other men that lived in that space and then understanding, well, what is it that they're doing? And I can't, I can't copy what they're doing, right? Who my grandpa was, I'm not called to be Carl Karcher. And I'm not trying in my program to help anybody else become him. But there's a framework that when we start to give our, a language to what he did in our own terms and how God uniquely designed us, it's amazing how it lights up within us, right? All of a sudden, you know, the, the, our best life, choices that make us feel absolutely alive and vibrant, you know, where we show up and not only have our greatest performance, but our sense of spiritual fulfillment and happiness and, and all that rises up simultaneously. And so, you know, all that to say that first couple of years was just trying to get to a, a base of, of, you know, out of, out of being really miserable. Um, I got into to psychology. So I started going back to school because I actually had somewhat of a clear head to focus. Um, I had a psychology professor who was like a hippie and I, I just loved, right. He had these great stories. Um, I went to Concordia and had just amazing teachers. I, I was the double major in English and psychology, and I just didn't see a path with English as far as like, what would I do as a, as a profession? And because I'd had so many therapists pour into me, I wanted to really be able to go and do that and give back and help other people through some of those same struggles. So that's how I started leaning into that and, and chose, we'll say the last thing on this, um, Azusa Pacific University is where I got my, my, uh, my doctorate and master's degree. And I was looking for a... Um, a program that does an integration, right? They take psychology and theology and a lot of them just, they give you like a master's in divinity or they take you through some Bible courses and then they, you get a doctorate in psychology, but they don't necessarily show those, you know, inner, inner sec. Uh, APU said where your theology and psychology come together is in that moral formation, right? It's in that place where your values exist and how you live that out. I love that model. It created such a great foundation all those years ago. And I've only expanded on it since I went through that grad school and recognized that that is, that, that is some of the most transformational work I've ever done is helping people just clarify their values and then create a plan and a strategy for how that lives, looks, you know, lives in their day-to-day life. Amazing. You share a story about your grandfather. You shared a story about your, your process of change. You know, so many men right now, 
we'll, we'll dive into the guys who are listening to this. Uh, but so many men right now are striving to achieve something or become something more. You think about your grandfather, like how many people would want to strive to emulate him? And you said, no, I'm not going to be him, but I can learn from him. You know, yeah. but so many men want to achieve something or become more. And they set out on a journey to change, but they don't really know who they are to start yeah. with. And you just mentioned ha- no core values and identity. So can you speak to the importance of having a, a strong identity? Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll back into that in the sense of there's a, a concept, the uncertainty. We kind of brushed upon that, that earlier. Um, and we understand that the way that our brain processes uncertainty, right? Just that sense of the unknown is that we start to project into it, you know, all these possible scenarios, right? We can have uncertainty in our health. We can have it financially in a relationship. And if you ever experienced that, right? You've been in a relationship and like things are really rocky and you're not sure if you can trust the relationship that feels yeah. it, it, any of that is debilitating, right? It can absolutely hijack your mind and it can stop you from growing. You're living in a constant perpetual state of like fear, fight or flight almost, right? Um, interestingly, the research shows that the most debilitating form of uncertainty is a kind that I'm sure most people have never heard of. It's self-uncertainty, right? So it's that sense of, you know, do I know what gives my life value and meaning? Do I have a consistent sense of a strategy and how I approach day-to-day challenges and problems, right? Do I know what tools I have in my tool belt to be able to handle these? Um, you know, there's, there's a, a clear sense of knowing to prioritize your values, all that stuff. And, and the problem is, is that if we don't have the answers internally, uh, you know, we are in relationship with ourselves every day. So that self-uncertainty becomes so intolerable as we feel this overwhelming urge to, to resolve it. And so, if, again, if we don't have the answers inside, we will start attaching our identity to the things in our environment, the things we produce, our income, our jobs, you know, our, our social status, um, you know, our attractiveness or the attractiveness of our partners or whatever it is, right? All these things that need to be right. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes we attach our identity to really unhealthy things, you know, like sh- shame, you know, we attach it to feeling like a, a loser, whatever those things are, um, none of which are what I believe God has designed for us. You know, at very best, we know if people have an identity that's attached, maybe say to their income, and let's see, they're phenomenal at creating a massive income. The thing is, is you know, you get, uh, uh, you know, money, you start to, to acquire a, a good amount of, of revenue or income, and it gives you a big hit of dopamine. So you feel great. That dopamine does not last particularly long, right? So once that dopamine, that hit of achievement wears off, like, is there anything within you to hold you up and prop you up to give you a sense of meaning and value? For most men, no. And so, you know, it creates this really addictive cycle where they just need to keep going back and back to the well, right? And there's no amount of that income that will actually ever give them that feeling that they desire, that sense of, you know, kind of feeling at peace and feeling content within. And so I think you see a lot of men who are on that cycle. It's like, man, they're achieving more than they ever have in their life. You know, they're, they're going out and doing these things, but why does it feel so empty, right? Why is there a sense of the success not giving me the satisfaction and fulfillment that, I, that, that you desire? And it creates a selfish lifestyle too, right? Where a lot of these men, they want to go out and achieve and they'll say they're doing it for their families, but they're often neglecting, right? Yeah. The, you know, important moments, being emotionally available for their families um, in pursuit of that income. Yeah. And everything falls apart because there's never enough. You know, I've seen people that way. We've, you and I, I'm sure yeah. both interacted with many guys who are, you know, you, you meet them for the first time and you're like, wow, they really got it together and look how successful they are. And, and yeah. they're pushing so hard and they're, we see all the, uh, the Instagram filter moments of their <laughs> life, right? All the yep. highlights. And yet they're pushing so hard. Like you said, there's never, there's just never enough. And the things that they once said were their values and they, they were their priorities are yep. falling apart behind them as they just blaze this trail, not quite knowing where the end is. Right. Yeah. So true. Can you tell me and share with our listeners true North? Can you mention uh, what does true North mean? Hey guys, I wanted to take a moment and talk about our community of DMD brothers in the DMD mastermind. We are men who help each other to stay focused and intentional in our pursuits of personal, professional, physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual growth. We are a community of men who bring courage, wisdom, and transparency to unfiltered conversations that challenge us to be more impactful men, to be dads making a difference. 
We do this through our online and in-person events where men come together to speak into each other's lives and then turn around and do the deep work to create change in their families, in their businesses, and in the community around them. If you are wondering if this community might be right for you, you can find more information on the DMD Mastermind, and you can also book a call directly with me at dmdmastermind.com. Now, let's get back to our show. Yeah, love. So this actually came out of, I was on uh, my parents, so they have a, a boat, we're taking my son out for his birthday. And my mom, this was just like uh, this last year. So it's just like six, seven, eight months ago or whenever December was. Um, and she said, hey, my friends really love the stuff that you put out, you know, whether it's in the email that they get or, or, and they said, but they were asking like, what exactly is it that your expertise is? She said, I, honestly, I didn't know what to tell them. And which I think is funny. My mom's actually gone through, she went through my beta version of the course and, you know, her clarifying her values was like a massive shift for her. But nonetheless, as she asked me that, you know, I started to go into well, identity and authenticity and all these things. And within like a very short period of time, like I'm boring myself with this answer. Like this is not yeah. a sufficient answer that she can go and then tell her <laughs> friends. So yeah. I paused. It's not the 30 right. second elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, definitely not the <laughs> elevator pitch. So I came back and I said, I help people find their true north. And mom's like, oh, okay, that's easy. Right. And so I was like, oh, that's so much easier. Since then, I went and I looked up. Um, I did, and I'll admit, I didn't know this when I gave the answer. Um, and I can't remember if we talked about this. I feel like we might have when uh, mm-hmm. one of our previous, but you, there's a difference between true north and magnetic north. Yeah. And I think it's a significant difference. And I'd love to tell you, I was intentional when I said this, but you know, uh, true north is a, a fixed uh, location, right? It always remains the same. Whereas magnetic north, well, certainly reliable, I'm sure if you are a, a hiker or something like that, but it's always shifting just slightly, right? It's reading the electromagnetic field of wherever you're at and then creating that sense of north. So magnetic north and true north, like very rarely ever actually align. I think they did for the first time in was it 20 years ago, but that was the first time in over hundred years. And so the reason why that's significant is I feel like a lot of people live their life in that sense of they're always reading their environment and allowing their environment to dictate to them you know, what their morals and values are, you know, what's important. I, I know I used to do this where I would be in, in conversation with someone and this might be someone I just met. It could be someone at the grocery store, right? It could be someone. And I know at, at home, my wife is waiting for me, right? She needs me to come home. And I'm so worried about this person who is, you know, maybe I just met and them judging me or not wanting to disappoint them is that I will run late for my wife and then come up with some crappy expo- you know, response or excuse when I get back, uh, because I don't have a clear sense of what I stand for, right? And I think that that's just kind of a, maybe not a great example, but there's a sense, right, of many people compartmentalizing their life, where who they are when they go to church on Saturday or Sunday, you know, who they are when they're hanging out with their boys from college, who, who they are, you know, when they are at work, it's constantly shifting. And that is not healthy. That is not good. You know, there is a core essence of who God designed us to be, that should remain the same. Now, how it manifests and how we exactly we carry that role out might be different, right? With my kids versus mm-hmm. at work versus my wife. But my values do not shift. They are 100% the same. My purpose statement is actually the same, right? What I, what I, who I'm trying to do, the purpose I have with my kids, I have with my wife, what I have at work, it remains completely the same. You know, it just comes out slightly differently. And that makes it so much easier and simpler for me to always know exactly where true north is because it's not shifting. Right. You can always rely on it. It's always something you can come back to and yeah, get your bearing from. No, I, no, I, I love that. It's really cool. You know, you mentioned identifying your values as being the, the core piece of that. What is a practice that someone listening to this right now can start at least to start identifying those core values? Yeah. So uh, I have a worksheet that I like to use with my clients. Um, you know, it, it's, there's, there's some worksheets that you can certainly find online. There's a few assessments. There's ones where you, like, you, you, you take a, a quiz or whatever, and then you'll get a report that sends back, says based on your responses. That's not my favorite place for people to start because I think it's important for people to be able to define their values in their own language, right? Like I, I have a test that I use. I think it's great. And it has a bunch of resources and tools like a decision-making matrix and you know how to choose goals based off your values. And that stuff's amazing. 
but I don't like using that first because I've had people take it, right? And it'll come back and it'll say their values are, you know, uh, achievement or something like that. And they're like, that's not for me at all. Now the sub words that it uses, right, to describe it often are exactly what they're saying, but language is important. And if they don't feel a connection to that, that's like, that's not the word I would use to describe that. Sometimes they will discount it or then it just won't internalize it the same way. So I love the idea of people having to struggle a little bit and maybe, you know, there's some that have just a list of a bunch of values-based words and then having to choose. Now, it should be five. Some of the things I've seen, I've worked with companies, you know, that have had consultants come in that they pay a lot of money and the company will have like 15 core values. Um, that might look nice, but that's totally impractical, right? You need to have it down. We, we know short-term memory, we can hold roughly about, you know, seven plus or minus two. So between five and nine. I wouldn't even do nine. I'd say between three and five core values, right? That if you can get it down to that, that means in, in key moments when you're being challenged, you know, uh, at work and you have to make key decisions in moments where I'm potentially in conflict with my wife, I need to be able to access in that moment exactly what matters most. And if I got 15 values swimming through my head, that, that's that's totally uh, uh, not going to be helpful. So yeah, yeah. Um, there's another exercise I'll just say real briefly. And it's just uh, talking about some of your biggest achievements and some of the moments. And if you have a good coach sometimes working with you, who's just listening, right? So like, what are the things that have been the, the most significant moments in your life and achievements? You often will be able to hear in that exactly what matters to them. And that's, that can be a really powerful exercise because not only are you talking about something that's just really deeply, you know, meaningful and personal, but to have someone listen to you in that and be able to pull out and say, it sounds like your family or it sounds like, yeah. you know, love or respect where that is. That can be a really fun and powerful exercise too. Cool. Yeah, and you said that words matter. And the first thing that my brain went to was, yeah, that English degree did come in useful <laughs> after all. <laughs> awesome. Um, you know, you, you shared that some men will aspire for maybe it's it's profit or income or status, freedom or happiness or whatever they call it. You know, and you said that they're truly after, and I read a post that you had, you said when men are after freedom and happiness, which often when I think about somebody's goals, somebody will say to me, Cam, I want to make more money. Well, why? I want to be able to provide my family with a good life. Well, well, why? And you keep getting through these whys, the five level of whys that I love. You know, we ask somebody why five times you'll get to the real reason. And And it comes down to freedom you know, that freedom piece. And if I was free and mobile and and had autonomy, you know, this was important. So you said this truly means freedom and happiness. This means autonomy. I've heard multiple definitions of autonomy. You know, there's the Webster's dictionary version, but to to you in your line of work and in your perspective, as you're helping people find their true North, what is autonomy? So interestingly enough, one of my favorite definitions uh, and, and this, I, I found this uh, again briefly. I, I read a, a research article that looked at uh, the best predictor of happiness: internal characteristics that people had. You know, was it gratitude, optimism, hope? Um, and it was a massive study, so which usually means it's pretty generalizable to larger population. Um, and this was long-term sustainable happiness, not just you know fleeting moments, but people that were happy over a long period of time. And autonomy, far and away, right? It wasn't even close. Was the best predictor. And interestingly, we know that the best predictor of depression is often the absence of autonomy, right? When you start to feel like, man, I feel like my life is consumed with things that I didn't choose and aren't maybe that important to me. I feel stuck in that. It creates you know, feelings of helplessness and powerlessness. And I honestly think that's why so many people are struggling through this pandemic, right? And still coming out of it. I think there's a lot of a sense of autonomy and choice and things that were sometimes either taken away or just, you know, our life was changed and and there's adjustments that we had to make that we didn't necessarily choose. And I see people really struggling, trying to reestablish a sense of autonomy. So uh, Miriam online dictionary, and this is, this is my paraphrase of what it said, but it said um, self-governed choice or behavior with moral agency. Mm. And I was like, that is really good. And I think it's important to have both ends of those things. But a lot of people might feel like, well, I've got the self-governed choice, right? I, I, I choose to do this, right? I want to go out and do something that gives me immediate gratification or impulsive. I act on my emotions and I'm freely choosing to do that. 
But if it doesn't have that moral agency, like it's not connected to your values, if there's not a sense of it, right, being kind of the good and right thing that you're not operating from that higher level uh, or a prefrontal cortex, right, is, or, or really making sound, solid decisions, um, you will not be autonomous, right? I mean, I, I see this all the time from people who are stuck reacting. I had a, had a client the other day who was just saying, he like rebels against everything, right? Everything his wife, like, no, you can't control me. And yeah. so it might seem like he's autonomous, but he's not. He's he's completely triggered, right, by the idea of anyone telling him what to do. And that's that's not free. That's not that's not being autonomous. Yeah. You talked you talked about decision making, you know. And so when when we're faced with a hard decision, um, often that could be what I'm experiencing right now as a guy in my early 40s is a pivot in your life. Maybe it's a pivot from a profession to something else. Maybe it's a pivot from having uh, your kids at home to having your kids out of the home, whatever, there's a yeah. pivot in your life. And you need to make a decision. Um, and you have to exercise that sense of autonomy and making that decision. Can you discuss decision-making as it relates to you know, personal strength and into leadership? Cause that's where we want to head today to the leadership, but how does decision-making um, relate to personal strength and leadership? Yeah. So I, I really think that sense of identity is so critical I and mean, probably shock, right? As we're talking about identity so much. Um, Roy Disney, the, uh, you know, the, the business minded aspect of the Disney brothers. Um, I think he said, you know, with my, my core values to define, right, decisions are easy. Again, that's not the exact verbatim quote. I'm never, I'm never great at the verbatim quotes, but that's the essence of what he says. Um, I think there's more to it than just the core values. I think that has to be the initial filter that things go through. Um, you know, I think understanding what's driving you, what's motivating you, you know, I, I talk with my clients a lot about, uh, intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic. You know, I think extrinsic is, is very rarely where autonomy comes from, right? That's that mm -hmm. sense of I'm doing it for you know, the recognition, the approval for the money. And, and again, I'm not saying that income and, and making money is bad, but no stretch of imagination, right? I'm not a not-for-profit. I am a for-profit business. But if that's my primary driver, again, I get stuck back in that whole thing about, you know, my sense of self-worth and identity being reinforced simply when I make money, as opposed to when I focused on bringing my greatest strengths to serving people, right, and making a difference so that they start to really live free and they can go out and it has generational impact. Like, and, and if that happens to make me money, right, so I'm doing something that just the simple act of doing it makes me feel so alive. It makes me feel so purposeful. purposeful. I feel deeply fulfilled, um, right? It's like almost like it has to come out of me. I mean, I was, I was having conversations like this, you know, even in high school, even when I was like really broken and just a mess, right? Yeah. I would be having deep conversations with other kids, right? And uh, some of the popular kids, and they would be like, I'm sharing stuff with you that I've never shared with anyone. And so I've always loved to go deep and to help people go into that deepness, right? And be able to come out on the other end with more clarity. So um, yeah, I think... Really being able to understand what your values are is an important, uh, critical uh, decision-making filter. I think understanding what's driving you and the more that you can, you know, that, again, if I go back to my grandpa and some of the people that have been so influential, and these are people, like, my grandpa had 3,000 plus people show up to his funeral, wow. right? In, in fact, there was a bunch of people that ended up watching online because there was no more space. Now, the reason why is he invested in people, right? He spent some, I, I spent you know, thousands of hours going to angels games with him and people would show up at the crowd and they'd be like, Carl, I'm sure you don't remember me. You gave me my first job when I was like 25. This was like 30 years later. And he'd know their name. He'd be like, Tim, you know, and how's your wife? He'd know details. Wow. And I've always been so like, I'm not, I'm not great like that <laughs> with names. And I realized now I always thought like, well, he just has a gene or a gift or something like that. But this is a man that never went past eighth grade in education. Right. So he was just was so secure in who he was that he was present in that moment. Whereas when I'm insecure, my head's swimming. Like, what joke do I need to tell? Like, you know, what's my opening line? Do I have a, you know, I'm worried about what I'm saying and about the impression I'm going to make on them as opposed to him. He was just able to say, I care about you, right? Let me be present. Let me make sure I know your name because I know that that matters. So um, when you have clarity on what's important, decisions really, really do become so much easier. And when you're doing it for the right reasons, right? And you're doing it for those, those pure reasons. Uh, it's amazing again how you, you stop overthinking decisions and you start organically. That's like where flow state happens, yeah. right? You just trust. I've got the skills. I've got the strengths. I've got everything I need, right? In this moment, right? To meet this moment, 
and I trust myself to go in that and make the right decisions. And then you're having fun, right? Now, all of a sudden you're operating at a whole new level. Yeah. Amazing. Does that make sense? What, a, what a powerful realization, right? Or, and that observation of you, you made of your grandfather is how he was strong in his identity. He was strong in that moment. And he was just so in tune with the person that he was speaking to made it easier to remember. And then you share how I'm always thinking about like, what do I need to say here? How do I, (laughs) how do I need to stand? Where do my hands go? Like, what do I need to share with them? So many of us are caught in that, that posturing piece. We feel like we're being judged, but that, that fear of being judged or not fitting in or not playing the part becomes from that insecurity, right? And you're, and you're working with men, to become secure, to know their core values, yeah. to find their true north, to be strong in their identity so they can act with autonomy and then they can develop the leadership skills they need. And I love it. Uh, so, you know, this podcast is called Dad's Making a Difference. And over our conversations, we have multiple guests and I, I'll dive into like what making a difference means. And I can kind of sum up all their answers into something about leaving a legacy right? If, if yeah. I'm making a difference, I'm leaving a legacy with my family. Yeah. I'm leaving a legacy in my business. I'm leaving a legacy in my community. Listen to your grandfather's story. He left a legacy, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's inspiring others. So as dads who want to make a difference, listening to this right now, how do men start becoming stronger leaders, leaders in their home, leaders in their business, leaders in their community? Yeah, I really, I remember I read a, a, uh, it was a LinkedIn survey and it was looking at the most frustrating, confusing form of leadership communication. And again, this was an easy uh, winner and it was uh, confusing communication. It was inconsistency, right? That sense of when, you know, they say one thing and the next thing, or they never laid out the expectations clearly. Again, you are creating more chaos and confusion at that point, instead of people being able to operate. You think about uh, I think some of the great sports leaders and coaches, you know, and take a moment like John Wooden, right? One of my absolute favorites. Uh, even Phil Jackson will take a moment because the Lakers, right? Southern California. Um, Lakers are the Bulls. Come on. <laughs> there, there we go. There we go. <laughs> but those, those coaches both knew exactly who they were, right? There was a sense of, I mean, Phil Jackson was the Zen wizard, right? He was kind of that deep philosophical thinker. John Wooden was this deeply character based man, right? With his faith guiding him. And, and, but they also knew like what their offensive philosophies, right? Like they were so clear in every aspect of who they were. And then they knew because they had that system and that, that clarity, they knew who they wanted on their team. They knew who was the right fit, right? They, they also knew like how to put people in positions and to get buy-in from them so that everybody was like, all right, I know exactly where my seat on this bus is. And when you have to, when you can stop overthinking things, cause you've been put in that position, again, it allows you to just suddenly perform. Now you're able to bring your greatest strengths, which a good coach will also help a good parent, right? I think a good dad also is helping my kids to see, right? What am I proud about? What are the things I really care about? I care about their character, right? I don't care so much about the results they produce. If they are using good effort, right? They're showing uh, positivity and they're showing resilience while they get great results, phenomenal. But if they do that and they don't get the results, I mean, I, I literally every day, I try and pick out one thing I'm proud about at the end of the day. Hey, you made a choice today, right? And in this choice, I saw you choose to value your sister or your brother. And you said, I love you or whatever it is, right? It's amazing to see them light up, right? And all of a sudden they know exactly what makes dad proud of them. You know, there's no confusion. And so, and they know, I hope exactly how I feel about them. So the more I can create clarity on what matters, what I prioritize, what my expectations are, um, you know, what, what it is that kind of we stand for. Uh, it, it really helps people to rise up so they can fulfill their role to the absolute best of their ability. And then when you have a whole team of people doing that, right, that's where you see them rise up to a whole new level to like championship levels. So you yeah. think about whatever that means as a family and a business, yeah. you know, but culture is really just identity on a group scale. You know, that's really all it is. Yeah. Those coaches you mentioned, and then you're talking about, you know, bringing this idea all together. So everybody's on the same page. And I think about creating a vision, right? Creating a vision for our family. Uh, how do fathers? and I'm struggling with this right now, you know, I have an eight-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter. And for the first time this week, you know, we've been out on summer holidays. I got to share a little story. Awesome. Yesterday, my wife and I are sitting on our back deck and we're like, oh, kind of looking around, right? It's really quiet. Our kids had been out playing with friends for hours. 
they're, they've made this quick just switch in their ages and in, in their independence where they check in, they leave. They check in, they leave. And Kim and I are like sitting there like, well, what do we do? We don't have to entertain the kids. You know, they're not six and four or seven to five anymore. And it also got me starting to think about my son. I talk about my son lots. I love him. I'm so proud of him, but he's so active and he's caring and he's, but he's so energetic and impulsive, right? And not impulsive, yep. bad, but he's just impulsive. He's yep. a little, yep. um, but my son's out in the community. My daughter is out in the community. And I want them to conduct themselves in a way that's representative of our family, representative yeah. of our yeah. faith, representative of how we care about people. And so Kim and I are crafting this vision we have for our family. Uh, I've shared on the podcast before, we have a family mission statement. So love beyond these walls. And it's posted above our front door. So on the way out, awesome. you see it. When you come in, you're taking your stuff off, you see it. How do we go about creating a vision, a shared vision for our families? Man, first off, just love that question. Um, my kids are six and nine, so I can just relate yeah. age-wise where things are at. And, you know, I, I think, so that sense of identity, that core sense, right? The values, understanding that mission that's driving, you know, the, the kind of values drive that forward. Um, and I think it's just creating radical consistency then around that. So like the stories we tell as a family, right? I want there to be that these stories are consistent and they're reinforcing, right? These values and this mission that my, fa my family's on. Um, I want to make sure that the things we're teaching, right? The different types of, even if we're going on uh, vacation, you know, oftentimes, and again, I don't know how my kids when they're older, they're going to look back and be like, I'm so great, dad. Thank you so much. We'd be like, dad, it was overkill. Like it was, it was the but, worst. <laughs> But I know things with repetition, right? And things that have strong emotional impact. Those are the things that get seared into the, sub, the, the unconscious, right? The subconscious. And so, and that's what I want. I want that the subconscious, like what is important to them. And at some point, you know, your kids, my kids are going to get to that age where they naturally start to kind of reject or at least question, right? The values they grew up with. And that's, it's a, it's a healthy thing. I'm not particularly looking forward to that, yeah. you know, but there's a sense that they're going to then start to figure out it. And from a healthy identity standpoint, right? We know that the more you're able to say, this is what I believe in, this is what that means to me, and this is why I believe it, that creates really healthy sense of identity. It has deep roots to it, right? And then even if someone doesn't share that, someone comes along and questions it, makes fun of it, whatever it is, you feel so secure, right? You're not threatened. The problem is, is when your identity is really insecure, and then someone starts to say, why'd you do that? Or they question it, make fun of it. That's seen as like an enemy or right, or you feel really insecure and you feel really untethered. And that can create a whole bunch of chaos that, you know, it runs downstream. There's a lot of bad decisions that can be made out of that. So I think the more that you have a sense of this is what we stand on, right? And, and then just creating consistency on the behaviors, the choices, what you're course correcting to, the stories you're telling, right? All those things, to me, that's a phenomenal way. And then, you know, as your kids, it's like my daughter and son have a values vision board up in their room, right? Oh, wow, yeah. um, we've got like a family one. Um, they've got their character strengths as their superpowers, uh, but that will shift over time, right? And I have to be careful to not want to say, well, these are the character strengths I want to see in them versus this is what God's developed in them, right? And those might be. So I need to constantly be open and shifting to listening, to observing and watching. And so allowing for that autonomy, allowing for them to freely choose. You know, I'm trying to care. There's some things you can do with autonomy to give your kids more freedom, right? Just the way you ask questions. And the, like my kids, you know, if you ask them right now, I think if, if I pull them in here and said, how would you define autonomy? I think both of them, hopefully, right, would say self-governed choice with moral agency. Now, I unpack what moral agency is for them, yeah. but they understand it's, it's doing the right thing, right? It's choosing to do the right and good thing. Um, and so I want them to know that's where your freedom comes from. And so when you're rebelling and you're thinking, you can't tell me what to do, dad, that's not autonomy, right? That's not what I'm, that's not where I'm calling you to. I want you to find the right choice. And I've seen them sometimes work through that, right? I see my, my son in particular, because autonomy, even at six is super important to him, right? He's like, yeah. he's like a little freedom fighter, you know, yeah. for individual freedom. So <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Did, did, did Amazing. I, did no, that's answer? great. Thank you. Sir. Okay. No, thank you for sharing. You know, as a dad right now, I always love to ask our guests as you grow as a father, what is an area right now that you're excited about growing in or something in your life that you're excited about right now? Yeah, that's a good, a good question. Um, I mean, there's always a lot of good growth areas. Um, you know, I, I think trying to always find that balance between building a business. You know, I've got a, a private practice that does well. 
We've created this digital course. We've had a couple of courts go through it. That's it, my favorite thing to do. Uh, but I get called sometimes, right, to go speak in places. I get called to, you know, do more. We're getting ready to lead a group of men in my church. We've got 250 men. We're going to lead through a six-week series on true North masculine identity. Right, doing it with one of the pastors. I'm so excited about this. But all this stuff takes up a lot of time. So, like, I think about my grandpa who was home at 5:30, and I miss that window. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. I'm not. I'm not proud of it. Now, you know, I'm around for a lot of stuff. And one of the, the commitments I've made to my wife so that she and I were on the same board, this isn't me just telling her, this is the way it's going to be, right? It's, yeah. But as I stick around in the mornings, and so like our kids are homeschooled. So like today I got a chance to teach our kids for three hours, right? I got a chance to sit down and help my daughter through some frustrations in math, right? And just kind of be calm. Uh, I helped my son. He's been, you know, he's learning to read. And I helped him to really master the fundamentals of knowing each letter and how it sounds. And then we read today and he nailed it. Man, that is the greatest feeling. And my wife's able to go and focus on what is she needs to do. So trying to find that balance, right? And I don't think this idea of work-life balance, I think that's a misnomer. I don't think it exists. So I like to use the term work-life integration. And so that's what we're trying to find, right? Is like, how do we create an overall vision and a sense of this is what we're about? and then integrate these different parts of our life. So it feels like a, a whole overall tapestry that fits together nicely. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> Work-life integration. Oh, I love that. That's good because you do hear this whole idea of balance come up and it's just like, yeah. I'm thinking counterbalance at times, whatever. I love that work-life integration. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Um, Andy, if someone's listening today and they want to find you, they want to find more information on your course, uh, where can they do that? The best place is to go to my website, ag-thrive.com. And so uh, there's a few things that we're, we're, we're making some updates on that. So you'll actually see, um, you know, this, the course that we've built, because identity is like one of those broad things, right? Yeah. So we help men with their true north identity, but I'd worked with adolescents for a large part of my career. And adolescence is an age, right? That is so, you know, as kids are starting to find their identity. And we don't currently, I think, have very good structures or frameworks to help kids figure out who they are in a healthy way. So as kids are rejecting kind of some of those values, they're often going off to college or not college, making a lot of you know bad decisions, right? Trying to find their identity in places that are, are really empty. And so I'm just giving them a framework. So we have a version of this that we're offering to parents to help go through with their adolescents, their teenagers and their college students. We've seen some of the most incredible transformations for kids, right? As they start to get more clear and have a framework for making great decisions I mean, I wish when I was like you know, 16, 17, 18, I don't know if I would have been receptive to it at that point, yeah. but if I'd had the ability to start to, you know, figure out how to make good decisions, um, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe I wouldn't be where I'm at. I wouldn't be at where I'm at today. So I guess I wouldn't do yeah. it. But yeah. Um, so yeah, a- AG cool. was a very long answer to ag-thrive.com. No, great. And we'll make sure that all your contact information is in the show notes. Awesome. Um, Dr. Andy Garrett, thank you so much for taking time today, time away from your family and all the other things you have going on uh, to be a guest today. I appreciate you. And I can't wait to have more conversations in the future. Yeah. The feeling is mutual, man. I love the mission that you're on and, you know, to, to really offer for dads that are focusing on helping other dads to do great work, creating community for them. So just kudos to you. And if there's anything I can do to support the mission you're on, because it is a very needed one and you're doing awesome stuff. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of the Dad's Making a Difference podcast. I hope you found value in today's show. And if it made a positive impact on you, please share it with someone you know, leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. I'm Cam Hall. Thank you for spending time with me today. And I will see you on the next episode of the DMD podcast.